Welcome to the Strategies at Work podcast for February 2006. This episode is entitled, Does God Care About Work? and will offer God's perspective on work and business. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gerald Chester. Go with me back in time, about 100 years, and we're going to go into a home, and a man named Bob is there, and he is a very unhappy man on this day. He's moping around his house. The reason he's moping around his house is uh, he just recently experienced a business failure. How many of you had done that, experienced a business failure? Not a fun experience, is it? Particularly when you wind up owing people money. And uh, Bob thought he had done everything right. You know, he started this business. He picked an industry he thought would be the perfect industry to be in back then, which would have been the automobile repair business. Because in the early part of the 20th century, the automobile was the new technology. And you knew these cars are going to break down. Somebody had to fix them, so why not me? So he went into that business thought he had a great idea, great concept, everything he needed in place to do this business well, but he failed. And he wound up owing $500. Now, to us, that sounds like nothing. But when the wages back then were measured in pennies and not dollars, $500 is a lot of money. So he was moping around the house because now he's working as a ranch hand. In fact, what he is is a dirt mover. He's literally uh, reclaiming desert soil to, to turn that into pasture land and uh, land that they could farm and grow crops in. And he was enjoying that very much, but you don't get paid very well, and you got this $500 debt. So what is it you do with this? And he is an honorable man. He knows he needs to take care of this debt. So he is, on this particular day, he's moping around the house, feeling very justified in his depression and discouragement, and wondering, where in the world is God in all of this? Now, he had a sister by the name of Sarah. And most of you, I assume, have sisters. If you don't, uh, you're missing a pleasure. Because sisters can sometimes be quite annoying. And Sarah came up to him and says, Bob, don't you love our Savior? Bob says, of course I do. And she says, well, you don't act like it. Now, that's getting kind of annoying, isn't it? You know, what do you mean, I don't act like it? She says, well, you don't act like it. You're just kind of moping around here. He says, well, I'll tell you. He decides to engage her here, which was a big mistake. He said, I want you to look at what I do. Look at my actions. I go to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. I tithe off everything I make. I teach a Bible study. My wife teaches Sunday school. And we go, to, go on mission trips. And, and she's, she's listening very dutifully. And she, after he gets through talking about all these wonderful things he does to demonstrate that he is a solid Christian and that he loves the Lord, she says, well, you know, I hear what you're saying, Bob, but what I see is every week you go down this list like a checklist. You check off everything, check off all the boxes, and then you say, okay, now that's done. I can go back to work. She said, Bob, that's not loving God. And he says, what are you talking about? She says, when you really love Jesus, you want to serve Jesus, and you look for ways to serve Jesus. Now Bob's really ticked, you know, so he knows at this point he needs to disengage from this conversation because he's not winning. So he pulls back and withdraws, and he goes into an even deeper funk. He was depressed. Now he's mad. And so he goes off, and he starts an internal conversation. And here's the internal conversation. He's saying, now who is she 
I mean, my goodness, she's a missionary. She works in spiritual things. I am a dirt mover. I work in the physical realm. I'm not subject to her rules. And as soon as that thought went through his mind, he had a check. Something inside of him was saying, this isn't right. There's something off here. And so now he's getting really, really disturbed here as he's processing on this. And he realizes maybe for the first time there's something really wrong with his Christianity. That he doesn't understand it. And maybe he doesn't, maybe he's not even a Christian. Maybe he doesn't have the relationship he thought he had. And so as he began to ponder on that, he began to realize, you know, I am financially bankrupt. Maybe I am spiritually bankrupt. Wow, what a thought to be spiritually bankrupt. And so he pondered that a while, and he said, you know, I need to get some help. So it turned out that the next week, his church was starting a series of revival meetings. So he determined, I'm going to borrow the ranch car and go to these meetings. Now, back, back in those days, everybody didn't have a car. I know we live in a day where everybody, including your teenagers, have cars. But back then, you'd have a car for the ranch. And so all the people on the ranch had to share the car. Well, he managed to make arrangements to get the car every night for a whole week, which was a miracle in and of itself. But he got the car so he could drive into town to go to these meetings. So he would go in every night to the meetings, and the pastor did a great job, I'm sure, just like Carl, inspiring you and just warming his heart with great truth about Scripture and about Christ and our relationship to Christ and what it was to know Christ. And as he's listening to this, he's got an internal battle going on. He's, on the one hand, very encouraged and excited. On the other hand, he's in turmoil. And the turmoil is because he's, he's seeing that if I really get serious about Christ, I have to give up my life. I can't live the way I want to live. I can't do the things that I want to do. And I love what I do. I'm a dirt mover. I love going out there and working outside. I love being in the sun, being outside. I love taking desert land and, and making it fertile land. I just love the whole process of working with machines and, and just reforming the earth. He thought it was a very creative process that he just thoroughly enjoyed. And his thought was, if I really get serious with God, I won't be able to do that anymore. And that was really bothering him. So every night he would go, he would be inspired, and yet the struggle was going on. Then he'd go home and he would struggle all night. This went on night after night after night. Finally, the last night, he goes there. And he finally realizes, you know, I'm not going to get past the struggle. I'm just going to have to surrender. So that night he goes in there more open, more willing to receive than any other time. And that night he's touched. Now, he's a very private man. They give an invitation, as most churches do, and many people went forward and received Christ and rededicated their lives and did various things. He waited. He didn't go forward. He waited till everybody left. And then he goes forward by himself in this empty church building. And they had a, I guess, a little kneeling stool of some sort. And he goes up and he kneels down on this kneeling stool and he begins to pray. And he says, Lord, if you will forgive me for my bankrupt spiritual condition, I will commit to serve you for the rest of my life. And as soon as he said that, something happened that had never happened to him before. The peace of God flooded his heart. His soul was gripped by the reality of the presence of God. As he sat there, he just, 
He just was bathing and allowing the Holy Spirit to bathe him in the presence of God. That went on for a while. And finally he got up and he knew that he had been saved. Now, whether he'd been saved before, he wasn't sure. But at this point in time, I know without a doubt, I have met God. I have been touched by the hand of God. And so now I, I can't live like I have in the past. I've got to live now for Christ. So he goes home that night. And you can imagine, if you've ever been touched by God like this, you don't sleep very well. So he doesn't sleep well. He is, he's again, his thoughts are racing. What does this mean? Where's this all going to go? You know, what am I going to do? What's my life going to be like? What does God want me to do? I've committed my life to Christ, and I want to do whatever he wants me to do, but I don't know what he wants me to do. So he's wrestling with that. Despite all the peace, he's still got more turmoil going on. He seems to be a man of a lot of turmoil. And I think most of us would identify with that. So he was struggling through that. And finally he gets up out of bed because he can't sleep. And he goes outside and he walks amongst all the farm equipment that he works with. Now this is all kinds of things, you know, tractors and, and a lot of it was uh, mule-drawn stuff. So you've got animals out there. You've got machinery out there. And he's just walking in and around it. And he's walking in and around it. He's remembering, you know, I really love working on the land. I love moving dirt. I love turning you know, desert land and a fertile land. This is just such a joy to me. I just love this. What great memories. I'm, I'm leaving all of this because I know that now that I'm a Christian and now that I know God, I have to live for Him and I can't do this anymore. So that was his presupposition and that was the struggle he had that night. The next morning he says, you know, I need to go see my pastor. So he gets up early. I don't think he ever went to bed. I think he just put on his clothes, and went over to see the pastor. Now, the pastor was not surprised to see him. It's almost like the pastor knew this was going to happen. Now, he thought he had been very private about his prayer last night in the church. He waited till everybody left. But perhaps the pastor got a glimpse of what was going on because the pastor opened the door. And it was like, well, I've been waiting for you. It's good to see you. Come on in. The pastor takes him into his study. And then Bob begins to share with the pastor exactly why he had come. He recited the whole story of the week, all the struggle and the turmoil. He recited the conversation with his sister Sarah. He recited the whole story about the bankruptcy of his business and being in debt and realizing that he was now spiritually bankrupt as well. He goes through the whole story with the pastor. And the pastor sits there so patiently and warmly listening. And then he says to the pastor, now I'm here. You know, I'm, I'm standing before you as a man who's committed to walking with Jesus Christ and doing what he wants me to do for the rest of my life. I need you to tell me what I need to do. I know that I'm going to have to be in full-time ministry now that I'm a Christian. Because any serious Christian, to be a good Christian, you've got to be in full-time ministry, right? You've got to be an evangelist or a missionary or a pastor or, you know, a preacher or something like that. And he said, you know, I'm not a good speaker. I can barely speak English. I can't be a preacher, but, you know, I think I'd be pretty good as a missionary. You know, I can go help. I help out on the missions right now. I can probably go do that. So what do you think I ought to do? Well, the pastor is a very wise man. He says, Bob, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord what, what you should do. So they began to pray together, and they both prayed, really uh, thanking God for all that happened and just uh, pouring out their heart and expressing their desire to understand God's will for Bob's life. When they got through praying, the pastor very wisely looks to Bob and says, Bob, I think you need to understand something. He said, what's that? He says, you need to understand 
that God needs businessmen as much as he needs pastors. Now, that was revelation to Bob. He had never thought about that. Nobody had ever said that to him. He had always just assumed that all the serious Christians were in, quote, full-time ministry. The idea you could be serious about God and be committed to walking with God and to work outside of full-time ministry had never occurred to him. That was a totally new thought. So he was stunned by that. He sat back in his chair and says, are you kidding me? He said, no. He says, you mean I can go do what I love? He said, yes, you can do what you love. Do it unto the glory of God. Reflect Christ in everything you do. Let him fill you up so every day when people see you, they see somebody working with excellence. Wow, what a stunning thought. What a stunning thought. That turned his life around right there. Not only the reality of Jesus Christ entering his heart, but the reality of understanding that he could be a committed Christian and move dirt. Profound thought. So he went home and that reshaped his life. And I'll tell you the rest of the story in a minute, but first I want to just apply this story to us. You see the sequence of events that happened here. First, there is an experience in which a trauma or a tragedy or something happens. Has anybody ever experienced that? Something where God, God, God uh, torpedoes your, your train? I was uh, invited to lunch one day by a friend of mine. And I'd known this, this man since uh, college, and uh, he and I had studied Scripture a lot together. He went to Dallas Seminary for a while, and we'd spend a lot of time talking theology and things. So he was calling me this day. He wanted to have lunch, and he was very distressed. And, and it, by the way, his name was Bob as well, but it's a different Bob. And I said, well, Bob, what's going on here? He says, my wife has left me, and I think she's going to file for divorce. I said, wow. Now, I happen to know that this Bob was spiritually bankrupt. And so I said to him, wow, what a great opportunity. This is a good thing. He later told me, he says, I almost came across the table to choke you. Okay? But you've got to realize that God's in those bad things. Those things that are so hard and so difficult. So Bob's sitting here, the Bob of 100 years ago, is sitting here looking at this debt, thinking, how am I ever going to pay this $500 off when I don't make but, but $30 a month? I mean, this is, this is going to be terribly difficult. How am I going to do this? There's no thought in his mind about asking God, what is your plan and purpose for this? So God sets up these scenarios, and then God sets, sends in the Sarahs, the sisters, to ask those questions. And Sarah could be a man or woman. It could be anybody. It's somebody that God sends to challenge us and say, do you really love Jesus? Sure doesn't look like it. And that puts us in a very defensive mode. And most of us do get quite defensive about that, just like Bob did when he starts reciting his litany of all of his good things that he does for God. And surely, isn't that a testimony that I'm a Christian? But then when he really gets down below that, he's got a choice to make. You can either settle in on your defense mechanism and your resistance, or you can say, you know, there's some truth here that I have not Understood. I haven't grabbed a hold of that I need to grab a hold of. So the question is, will we do that? And then once you get to that point, and then, then the question is, are you going to get angry at God because he's given you this situation? Or are you going to decide to humble yourself and allow God to touch you? That's a big choice. 
Many of us get angry with God and never let God touch us. We just get in a tizzy, we, we withdraw, and we wind up going our own way, doing our own thing, trying to come up with how we solve our own problems. But fortunately, Bob didn't do that. He knew he was spiritually bankrupt. Now, the term bankruptcy is interesting. We all know what that term means. You know, if you're in the physical realm, that basically means when you have liabilities that exceed your assets. And when that happens is you are, that's technically the definition of bankruptcy. Now, what is spiritual bankruptcy? Well, I would suggest it's the same definition. It's when liabilities exceed your assets. Well, what are your spiritual assets? Well, I would suggest your greatest spiritual asset is your relationship with Christ. And one of the greatest ways that that's expressed is faith. Faith. Do you really believe that God will be true to his word? Recently, I was at lunch with another friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine, and we were talking about Matthew 6.33. And we were asking the question, do we really believe this? I mean, do we really, really believe this? You know what that verse says? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll take care of all your needs. Now, I've paraphrased it, but that's basically what it's saying, because the context there is about meeting physical needs. And he's saying to us, here's the charge. You seek me, you do what I want you to do, I will take care of your needs. My friend Dennis Peacock likes to say God pays for what he orders. And that's basically what that verse is saying. If God wants something done, there's provision to do it. And so my friend Jim and I are sitting there at the the table, and we're talking. We're having this conversation about that verse. And we're asking ourselves, and we know each other very well, have known each other a long time very well. And we ask ourselves, okay, do you really believe that? Now, that's a tough question. Try that. Just try that on. Do I really believe that? Now, look at my life and say, do I really believe that? As you begin to examine your life and you test your life against that, you begin to see that maybe your faith isn't quite what you thought it was. Now, I would submit to you the measure of our asset bank is the measure of our faith. On the other side, you know what the liabilities are? That's the trials. That's the challenges. That's the difficulty. Okay? Because the bottom line is if we let the difficulty overcome us, what are we? We're bankrupt. But if our faith can rise up and handle that difficulty, and we can walk through that in faith, then we are rich. We're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. So that being spiritually bankrupt is somebody whose faith is not able to manage the situations of life. Now, we all know this, I assume, that God's in the situation. God is in the situation. There's no situation going on in your life that God's not in. You ever thought about that? The founder of Dallas Seminary pointed that out. He said, God is the author of circumstances. Oh, wow. Anybody got bad circumstances? And they may not be like Bob and my story here, but you've got bad circumstances. Things that are really gnawing at you, that are pulling you, discouraging you, making you angry. That you're, You might even think that God's mistreating you, that God's raining on your parade. You had that? You got this thing all worked out where, God, I know exactly what you want me to do and how you want me to do it, and you start down that road and it doesn't work. God's rained on your parade. He torpedoed your boat. He sunk your ship. Your airplane engine failed and you're going for a crash. Yeah, we've all experienced that. Well, the reality is that God's in that, and he's in it to do good. 
Because God works all things together for good. So God is in this situation with Bob to do good. So Bob's got a choice. Do I surrender, i.e. humble myself and say, God, I'm bankrupt. I can't manage this. I need your help. Or do I respond in pride and arrogance and think I can handle this myself and I don't need God? Well, fortunately, Bob humbled himself and he realized he didn't know what he needed to know. So he goes and he seeks that out and he's met by God. And when we are met by God, does it surprise you to know that there might be revelation there? You know, God came up and spoke to him through his pastor as they sought together in prayer to discern what it is that God wanted this man to do. And God brought revelation. And the revelation was, your thinking is wrong about being a Christian. Because your thinking assumes that God doesn't care about the physical universe. You see, that's when you think that the only way you can be a serious Christian is to be in full-time service or to be in spiritual work, you're assuming that God doesn't care about the physical universe. And the reality is that God made the physical universe. And if you look in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, what you see there is God telling us why he made man. He made man to rule his physical universe. Wow. You know, when you hear many Christians talking about why Christians are here, what you'll hear is the Great Commission, and that is true. We are here to make disciples of Jesus Christ. But there's something else involved here, too, and that is we're here to rule God's creation. That was exactly what was said in Genesis 1 when God created the universe and he created man. He said, I'm creating man and I'm putting enough of myself into man and charging him to rule this universe. And the way we rule this universe is we grow, i.e. multiply, and we master it, which is subduing. All that's going on out there in the universe, all the physics that I did and all of that is about mastering God's creation. All of that is connected biblically to what God is doing. It's a wonderful thing. We benefit from the reality of what God is doing in advancing technology in our world today. Thank the Lord for that. But that is why fundamentally that's what man is doing. And guess what? When we as men and women line up and become disciples of Jesus, we have incredible tools to master God's creation. And that was the message that Bob got that day from the pastor is that God cares about the physical universe. God cared enough about the physical universe to create you and to ordain you to be a dirt mover. Wow. God cared enough to make me a dirt mover. Now, we think of a dirt mover and think, well, that's a pretty low-level job. Well, we don't have God's perspective because God values all kinds of work. It's all important to him. Whatever you do, You may be a janitor. I don't care what you are. I had a grandfather that was a janitor. But you know, when you whatever you do, you do to the glory of God, and God values that work. There's a story about a family that was on the on the East Coast. They were doing on a vacation, and they were uh, driving through this area of beautiful countryside. And the uh, the wife and uh, children wanted to stop and get some fruit, and they come to this fruit stand. And so the husband and the son say, "Okay, y'all go and get some fruit. Hurry up." So, you know, they're wanting to get on with the show. You know, they've got Civil War museums to see and, and hiking trails waiting for them. And so they, the, the wife and the daughter go inside, and they're in there, and they're in there, and they're in there. And finally, the, the husband and the son are saying, well, this is taking too long. Let's get out and go get them. So they get out, and they go in. And as soon as they walked in, of course, they're upset and angry. But as soon as they walked in, peace 
fills their spirit. And they kind of look around and say, what, what's this? And they notice this immaculately clean store. The people in there are all just this thrilled as they're going through and picking out fruits and things. And they're, they're looking at all this and say, what is going on here? So they go over and they start looking at the fruit and they say, man, this is really good fruit. And they start digging down and, and they realize the fruit at the bottom is as good as the fruit at the top. And wow, what's this? So they begin to pick out fruit. And, and then they look over at the, the, the guy, man, in the counter. There's one person in the store and he is, there's a glow on him. You ever seen somebody with a glow on him? There's just a glow on this guy. And they're looking, he's smiling, he's interacting with the customers with such grace. Then they look at the prices, and wow, the prices are very reasonable. They look at the quality, they look at the prices, they look at the man, they look at the immaculate store. Everything about this is just incredible. And so he, the man picks out his fruit, he goes up to the, to the man to check out, and he says to the att- attendant there, he says, this is incredible. I've never been in a store like this. I mean, it's so clean and neat, and the fruit is such good quality, all the way down to the bottom. The prices are good. I mean, and you're smiling, and everything about this environment, and as soon as I walked in the door, I felt peace. I said, this is unbelievable. Wow, I've never been experienced this before. And the man says, that's because the presence of Jesus is here. He said, wow, how is that? He said, because I am a servant of the Most High God, and this is his store. And I am simply his steward in the store. This store is all about reflecting him. And I'm glad that you were blessed to be here today. Isn't that a stunning experience? And that's what happens when we reflect God in the marketplace. The presence and the power of God can be with us wherever we are and whatever we do. And that's what Bob learned that day from his pastor as he was seeking what it meant to walk with God for the rest of his life. Well, Bob did that. He spent the rest of his life walking with God. From becoming a dirt mover, he learned that he had great skill and ability to develop equipment. In fact, in the early part of the 20th century, there wasn't a lot of equipment, so there was a lot of opportunity and a lot of need to develop mechanized equipment to move dirt. And this man went on to develop incredible machines, huge machines that did literally work all over the world from the from the poles to the equators, all kinds of machines to move and reshape the land. And this man built not only a great company, but he built a company that was, convi- that was built around the whole idea of honoring Jesus Christ and everything they did. They were fanatical about training their employees to honor God and to know God. At, this, at one point in his life, this man began to no longer tithe. He began to live on 10% and he gave away 90%. He at one time founded a university because he knew his people needed training. And so now a university exists in honor of him and his commitment to Christ. He's a man who's known, and you know him. You've heard of him because his name is Bob Letourneau, R.G. Letourneau. And he did what he did because of that experience that night in that church where he met God. And that pastor the next morning explained to him, Bob, you can be a man of God and be a dirt mover. And you need to do what God has put in your heart to do to bring glory to him. Lord, give us the grace to be men of God wherever we are. We hope you've been challenged by this podcast to consider biblical work principles in the workplace. For more information, visit strategieswork.com or to give feedback or sign up for our newsletter, please send an email to podcast at strategieswork.com. 
Thank you for joining us for this podcast, and we look forward to seeing you next time.